welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Chilly Flatty and Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are we doing, guys? Good weekend? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Yeah? Busy? busy weekend. Very busy weekend. Very busy. Obviously done Chelsea West Ham on Saturday. And then done a double header yesterday. Of Good, yeah, you were. I forgot you were doing that Chelsea West Ham game on Saturday yeah. as well. Nice Saturday night fixture. Yeah. Um, and then Arsenal Villa yesterday, and then the women's football show in the evening. It's nice to have two London games though to work out rather than going yeah, up let's north. Travel. Yeah, that was good. You kind of did the same double header, Jesse. You were I at did, Chelsea I did game. those exact two games. You're not fancy the women's football show in the evening then, though? <laughs> well, they didn't give me the call-up, so... <laughs> give it gone as uh, I did you my Rowan's plus one. in the evening instead. Yeah. Did you actually go to Ruins last yeah, night? I went to Ruins. Well, yeah. Till how long? To how late? Mm, till like 11, I guess. 11.30. So I had to get the night bus home. Wow, so. that is a good shift. What a hectic weekend for, for one and all. Did you do some bowling in Rowan's? Did you do some karaoke? No, we did karaoke. You did? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. No, it was good fun. Who was the crew in the karaoke booth? Arsenal girls. Arsenal stands. Mm, yeah, wow. I know. Behind enemy lines. I was behind enemy lines, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I felt about it. <laughs> what songs did you do? Um, did Islands in the Stream. Wow, that's always a classic. I did Torn, obviously. Um, what did other people do? There was some Taylor Swift. Um, there was some Nicki Minaj. Good choices. Which Nicki Minaj? I one think though? it was Super Bass. I assume I, I, because of that is bold. Because, because of Kate McCabe. Kate McCabe. I don't yeah. actually know. I didn't ask at the time, but I guess there's a little Arsenal connection there. Yeah. Well, people went for it. Yeah, I mean Sunday night on a school night. I feel like the I feel like the result. Got everyone, yeah, hyped, extra hyped, yeah. Apart from me, <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's why I'm surprised you went to karaoke because I thought you'd be fuming secretly. But... I had to like get my. It was my therapy for being annoyed, and everyone okay. else was celebrating. I because sometimes I feel like you then dig deep. You're like, get me out of here. Like, I don't want to be around these joyful people. But I think it was fine because Chelsea had already won. Yeah, really. that's what's nice about having the Saturday night game. Arsenal if your aren't team... really rivals at the moment. They're sort of like <laughs> mid table fodder. Was, if they'd lost, yes, it'd been relegation fodder. <laughs> Jeez. And we've got more karaoke on Friday for my birthday, so keep your Oh, we're vocal... doing karaoke on Friday. Yeah. Keep, your, keep your vocal cords, you know. I will be there. It, it does rely on me sorting the technology out because the pub I booked doesn't actually have a karaoke facility, but I'm bringing it with me. So <laughs> This sounds like it's going to go horribly <laughs> well, wrong. Well, I've got one of those lucky voice plug-in things. I want it's you my to be but... like handwriting the lyrics <laughs> and holding them up. So they've got a projector. It's a good pub that shows a lot of football. So I know they've got a projector and I went in and they were like, oh, we've got all this sound system. And then the guy said to me, but we've lost the cable because some guy who had a party last weekend broke the cable. So I have to bring my own cables, but it's just about whether or not they bring the right ones to make sure the karaoke machine works. Wow. So, well, we cross our fingers and I know. wait with bated breath. But I'm going to go in early during the week to make sure that it works. I'm going to do a She's test run. Prepping, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise wow. it'll be such a letdown if I'm like karaoke and then it doesn't work. So it's pretty good. But and you've literally told the world. Told the now. world. Told the nation. Yeah. Um, also, issue with Lucky Voice is they don't have Madonna because Madonna didn't license her tracks to Lucky Voice. Wow. Which is really annoying. So you Bro, can't do... My brother said Madonna was great, by the way. I know you wanted to know. I know. I saw some clips on online. Jesse's brother went to Madonna's O2 Celebrations tour show and there'd been a lot of build-up around potentially the tour being a bit of a mess because Madonna hadn't been very well. They'd been really late in rehearsing. And it was an absolute storm. I saw loads of great clips on social media. So, you know. Sounded like a great night. She brought it home. Um, Jilly, do you want to come to my karaoke party? The invite is extended, but no. Well, after you just invited the whole of the counter-press <laughs> listeners well, they and then get then my invite. Right? No, I, mean? I did actually send a broadcast message in WhatsApp, but I didn't. I must have not got that. <laughs> I did send it. I did send so it. So actually, you aired Flo's 30th. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's the first I thought it was her fault, were you? Oh, oh, wow. I don't look Uninvite that old. Uninvite her. Hey, actually, um, at the Emirates the other day, a security guard asked me if I was over 18. So please, this beautiful young face <laughs> is definitely not turning 40. That moisturiser. Yeah, the skincare routine. Since I got back from Australia and I took some skincare routine tips off my Aussie girlies. Glowing. Glowing so much so that I barely look 18, guys. That's what Incredible. I say. I will It'll be funny if you get the karaoke to work, but then the pub trucks you out because <laughs> like, you don't have ID. I, I actually never take ID out with me anymore because I just take my iPhone and like Apple wallet because I can't be able to take my wallet out. And then it is awkward when you go to Tesco's, you do get ID because you're like, I am like 
30, but you don't believe that I'm even over 18 and I don't know what to do now. But I've got enough grey hair, I feel like, to be like, look. <laughs> That's your idea? <laughs> yeah. Grey hair. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> grey hair and just like aged trauma face. So they're, like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, you look, you look old enough. Um, anyway... That was a little quick run through of I'll life. I'll wait to see if Julie comes on Friday now. Yeah, I'll be holding I'll, you I'll to I'll be it. waiting until this, get this uh, broadcast you know what? message. I'm, I'm, I'm due to send out a reminder broadcast message. That's what I'll get. About the, the details. Reminder. Because I did, so, I think I... It is annoying a broadcast message because I promptly then lost it and forgot all the details. Do, do you think it'd be better to set up a group? I was umming and ahhing. <laughs> do you think it's better to set up a WhatsApp group for parties? Yeah. What do listeners think? Because I feel like we're in the age of setting up WhatsApp I groups for parties. Not not a group, not and I don't know if it's annoying. Because then you can search it. Easily. Just make it so that other people can't reply in the group. Yes, my friend yeah. did that for his birthday. And then you can search for Flo's birthday on WhatsApp and it okay. comes up with the details. All right. Agreed. I'll be doing that after right. the show so let's get into it and um, we're going to be chatting about that massive game at the Emirates as Arsenal turned it around in stoppage time against Villa United's draw with Leicester which is obviously a huge point for Leicester who continue their really good start to the season and I want to show a little love to Manchester City as well also it was decision day in the NWSL playoffs so we'll catch you up on that so let's get into it after this Let's start with that massive result for Arsenal coming from a goal down to beat Aston Villa, not only coming from a goal down, but doing it in what was, what, 12 minutes of added time at the Emirates. It was an impressive comeback given, I, I, if I'm honest, it looked like that uh, they weren't going to score and it was going to be yet another really disappointing defeat for Arsenal and put more pressure on the other side of Al, but they turned it around. Katie McCabe's determination and the equaliser, I think, sort of signifies uh, the spirit that is still there amongst that team and how that will sort of probably continue to get them out of tough situations. But we have to say, or maybe not we, I feel like it's tricking you in many ways because... Jonas Eideval somehow lives to fight another day. But you I feel catfished by Jonas Eideval. I feel hundred percent catfished by Jonas Eideval because I think this papers over so many cracks with this Arsenal team. Um and I think they look so stodgy at times going forward, not necessarily lacking ideas, because I think it's the way that Eideval wants them to play, but it comes back to what we spoke about in that Liverpool game. Obviously, we know against United they had more space to work from because United are going to commit players forward and Arsenal play a lot better when they play against a team who are allow them to have that space, especially that space in behind. They can play balls over the top. They can be a bit more direct. They can use the width. Whereas against Liverpool and against Villa yesterday... Arsenal just really struggle to break down teams and also the way that they want to break them down is so mind-numbingly just sort of like one-dimensional with this relentless crossing into the box. And after the Liverpool game, we thought 39 crosses. Wow, that's a lot. Well, you ain't seen nothing until you hit the big 5-0 against Aston Villa. That's your birthday party. That's my birthday party. <laughs> wow, huge. The big 5-0. Special birthday treat for me. 50 Jonas Eidevall crosses <laughs> into the box. I think 12 of them in total were accurate. Jesse, we spoke after that Liverpool game about it, it felt like death by crossing in that match. Did you have that same feeling at the Emirates yesterday while watching? No, I didn't actually. And I don't really know why. I don't know whether because maybe the crosses were coming from different areas or it didn't quite feel as relentless. I definitely didn't think Arsenal were as bad as they looked against Liverpool. And I think Villa and Carla Ward deserve credit in how they set up because I thought the lessons that Ward had clearly taken from what Liverpool had done and sort of being able to put her own spin on it with sort of Staniforth and Parker sat on Kim Little and Leah Volte. I thought that worked like really well for large portions of the game. And I think Arsenal almost looked better than they did because Kim Little did also play really, really well. But I think it just still feels to me that Arsenal are lacking that little bit of like guile or invention in forward areas and I think you saw for example when Victoria Pulova came on that she offered that to be fair I thought Alessia Russo offered a lot of that but 
when she was like dropping, there's then no one there. So she do she drop and she do something nice on the ball and she'd look good, but then it kind of wouldn't go anything. She'd vacated the space. But again, I felt like when Blackstenius came on, that sort of allowed Rousseau to be in that deeper area, and I thought that worked quite nicely. And I guess you know this is the advantage Idaval has now with a fitter squad, with a bigger squad that he can make those changes. And he did make a lot. He made a lot of attacking changes. And you know I think the Beth Mead one felt so crucial, not because of what she offered in a football sense. But because it felt like the anxiety that was around the Emirates, which you could feel, evaporated into an excitement of old oh, Beth Mead's on the pitch. And it felt like I know she did, did then get the assist. I didn't I think you could tell she hadn't played football for yeah, basically it, a year. <laughs> but I think that sort of like emotional element was actually a really key part of Arsenal coming back in this game. I have to say, when I saw her coming on, I thought this is desperation but it paid off so I have to commend him for rolling the dice I thought it was bold because she's only just come three minutes with the academy but you're right as soon as the crowd even saw a sight of her they were going crazy and the noise and the kind of confidence it brought the team and Beth Mead spent a whole year often creating huge moments out of not very much so she's the kind of player that fans and teammates will think oh, if anyone can sort of help dig us out of a hole, it's going to be this player, even though she's barely played any football. So that was a brave and bold decision. And yeah, it did pay off. And like you said, Jesse, I really like when Russo and Black Senate actually have the opportunity to play together because one can drop deep and one can push on. And I feel like maybe we should see more of that. We obviously saw a bit more of it in the United game as well. Jilly, what was the mood like? going into added time with so many of you like ex-Arsenal players involved in that punditry team yesterday thinking that Arsenal might lose this game. Were you sort of thinking about what you were going to say in analysis about like if they'd lost the game and yeah, what was that chat going to be like compared to what it actually ended up being like? Well, obviously I'm an utmost professional, so I was neutral. Even though I was ex-Arsenal, I was neutral. Whereas I think if you're looking at Alex, she was up <laughs> celebrating, cheering, yeah. but... Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, listen, obviously, if Arsenal playing at home, like I wanted Arsenal to get the result because mm. I know also as well from uh, playing for them, I know that the longer they go without a result, the more pressure that comes on. And I, and I don't ever want to see Arsenal, as much as obviously I played for Chelsea as well, I don't want to see any of my clubs not do well. Julie's rooting for a top four of Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham and Liverpool. That would be happen. good, you know, I'd love that. Um, but no, I think... Um, when they put up 12, obviously, we was in between both benches, really, where we were sitting and Carla was going mad. Obviously, I was at the Liverpool game, Liverpool-Villa game the week before. Mm. And for me, it was a completely different Villa side. Obviously, defending-wise, because even though they played near enough the same, um, well, they dropped into more of a five, but they just defended so much better. And against any other team, they probably would have been able to come away and nick a win. But I think when you're playing against Arsenal and the subs they made, I think for me... Arsenal, even in Champions League, they've looked so much better when Black Stinnis is on the pitch because I think, especially when you're playing against a back five, she moves that back five. She disrupts them. She runs, she spins in outside of the centre-backs, pulling them apart, which then opens the space up for Russo, Pullover, etc. But for me, I think the subs changed the game and obviously he had to be bold. He had to go for it because they, they had to get that win. Um, but yeah, I think when 12 minutes went up and then the first goal went in, I thought Arsenal got to go on and win this. Were you surprised about 12 minutes? I know Carla Wall was really frustrating her post-match and Matt Beard had mentioned it before and it is the tale of this season. But were you surprised to see that much? Uh, yeah, I think I was, well, I was surprised to see over 10. I think yeah, I thought it was going to be maybe really like eight it. or so. Yeah, but there was points in the game. Obviously, Corsi went down with a head injury for a while. There was a lot of stoppages. Yeah, like, Kim obviously went down for yeah. a bit. And then, then they always add all the subs as yeah. well. And then there was like the amount of subs that come on. And then there was, I think it was uh, Pacheco went down for a bit. Yeah. Then there was another one which was in front of the, I don't think it was uh, Rachel Daly went down for yeah, a while as yeah. well. So even though then... Was then, that when lots of women more sort of like smashed into her? Was that in the first half? I can't remember. No, I think but, that was the one yeah. near the uh, Villa bench. Yeah. But I think when you add them all up now... Nah, you can't 
complained, but the full official was going to Carla, it's 12, I promise you it's 12, mm. like, mm. And she was going mad. But I do think then when, it gives Arsenal the momentum, because I think when I saw 12 go up, I thought, they're going to do it. When you see that, and you th- and especially once you get one fairly early in that period, you think, okay. And when it could be in three, Stina Blackstone's hit the post, didn't she? Yeah, um, but then also, like, we, we say that, now, but it's interesting, because I think it says about sort of maybe where Arsenal are in their mentality and how maybe they've improved even over the past couple of games because there was 10 out of time against Liverpool because I remember because I needed to go to Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Um, but like they couldn't but they couldn't a, do anything that, then. But then they got it late on against United. But I remember in that Liverpool game when the 10 went up I was like they're not scoring because that game just had the energy about it. Where... But also I don't really think on 90 minutes I don't think I felt like Arsenal mm. were going to score. It just felt like as soon as, yeah, I think as soon as McCabe scored mm. and that was a great finish, yeah. then it felt like they would probably get another one. But I think also that's, as much as I thought how Villa set up and how they played was really good, I think that's the thing that like Carla might look back on this morning and think, should I have made attacking subs? I was going to talk about the substitutions because you mentioned the Jonas's ones, but a lot of people after the game on Twitter were questioning maybe some of the substitutions that Carla Ward did make in that period and where, maybe ways she could have shored things up a little bit. Obviously, her team had kind of withstood so much pressure up to that point, but you know they were probably pretty exhausted. So do you think there are probably a few decisions that maybe, you know, you never know, but Van Domsar makes a mistake as well, which doesn't help. But It's always hard, right? And if Villa hold on, no one sat here going they sat too far back and they invited pressure. But I think when you look at, for example, the shots sort of Villa were able to have over the course of the game, you can tell, you know, they they were, they were getting further and further back. And what I thought Liverpool did really well against Arsenal was they brought on Tash Flint, they brought on Mir Enderby and those were players who were like, they were being nuisances. They were like getting the ball and running. They were like in attacking areas. And I think... Daly felt so isolated. I don't think she really had a great game. I thought Lotta dealt with her very well. And I thought Lotta played probably one of the best games I think I've seen her play for a while. Her stats were looking good as well in terms of like progressive passes and how influential she was one of Yeah, Arsenal's... that makes me laugh though because centre-backs almost always have like the most progressive passes. I saw that yeah, and I was like, compa- that's kind I of mean, normal. I think Illistet was sort of up there, but uh, like she was one of the most influential players across a lot of the way Arsenal played yesterday. Like a lot of it was coming through her and I think she's been guilty sometimes of uh, making mistakes in those core moments. But I think she took on and looked confident, sort of taking on the role of like, yes, we can play it through me and that's not going to be a problem. And I think that's why it kind of played into Arsenal's hands yesterday. Yeah, but I guess just going back to Villa, I felt like because Daly ended up being very isolated, I don't think Lotta was ever under that much pressure. Maybe that's why I'm like, yeah, I thought she had a good game, but I thought at points like it was kind of made easy for her. And I think Ebony Salmon, Alicia Lehman, there were options who could have that same kind of, okay, if you can just get them the ball, their fresh legs, and maybe they can just run and sort of get a bit more territory. And I feel like, you know, when you saw like Lehman and Leon coming on after, you know, in the 97th minute after Arsenal scored twice, you're like, that horse has kind of bolted mm. at that point. And I think, is obviously a risk, right? But, you know, it felt like there were players there who, you know, maybe Simone McGill could have come off earlier, for example, who there were changes that could have been made. And I think... Yeah, it was almost too little, too late. It does feel like, though, when Kenza Dali comes back, this is obviously a very poor start for Aston Villa, losing their first three games. And a lot of people predicted them to break through into the top three, top four this season. But it does feel like when Kenza Dali comes back, and I'm still not 100% sure the extent of her injury and when her return is, but it does feel like when she comes back and they've got that creative force because she was so important for them last season, that might be able to really change things for them. Because like you say, because Rachel Daly is so isolated right now, once they've got someone who plays so well with her and you can feed her so well and run that, I'm hopeful that there'll be a run. It's just like, when is Kentatali coming back is the is the crucial question, right? Yeah, and I think if you're looking at like the stats and that with Dali and Daly and then Hansen and Daly, last year they had the most goal combinations, those two partnerships, and she ain't got either of them at the moment. Obviously, I mean, I've played with Kenza. I think she just, if you've got a Lucy Parker and a Staniforth in the midfield doing the dirty work mm. and the ugly work as such, winning the ball, you then need that playmaker. And I think the last two games that I've watched Rach, I think she's looked very frustrated. I don't think her body language has been where it should be. And I just think you can tell she's 
airing a lot of how she feels. And for me, if I'm an Arsenal player, I'm thinking happy days because I know your head's gone. And I think the Liverpool players felt the same last week. So I do think she's missing it. I do think when Hansen comes back as well, that that will open up. Then being able to get forward a bit more and getting a bit more joy too. But I don't think they're playing necessarily really bad. I mean, I think last week against Liverpool, they was poor. Mm. But you're talking, if they play like they did against Arsenal and just have that bit of extra quality in the final third holding the ball up, I don't see it being a worry, but it's just obviously they've got a tough run of games. Um, mm. And they just it's, it's one of them ones, isn't it, yesterday when we were talking about Arsenal and it's, Arsenal haven't won yet in the WSL and it's like, they just need that result. They just need that result yesterday to just sort of get that pressure off. And I think that's what Villa do, need. And for Villa also, as well, uh, they've played the teams who finished second, third and sixth. And I think, obviously, for people who thought Villa were going to break into the top four, they're doing badly because they're games that you want to take some points from. But I think if you think Villa are about where they were last season, which I think is probably was probably always a fair assessment, then minus two of their most important players right now, then you can kind of say they've been like a little bit unlucky. You know, they've conceded added time goals to both United and Arsenal to lose those games. They took the lead against United when they only had 10 players. So I think, yeah, the Liverpool result from last week, that's the one that I think you put your finger on and like that's frustrating they should have picked up something there. But I think over the course of the season, losing to United and Arsenal isn't, you know, something that a team like Villa, that we should be that surprised about. I think just the problem is, is how that is affecting the squad. Like mm. how is having lost those first three games, like mm. getting into everyone's heads? Because I think over the course of the season, it probably doesn't matter so much. Yeah, and also managing those late moments because that if then becomes a mental thing then the, and the stoppage time is going to be quite long this season, then you don't want to make it a thing. But I still think Villa will, you know, probably finish top six and by top six, I mean like fifth or sixth. But I, I think it is just going to rely heavily on Kenta Dali being fit and not losing too many players because they've got a decent-ish bench, but it still looks quite light compared to any top four team. So I think that's also that depth. They just don't have the depth of the top four. And I think that's why yeah, it's when you hard look to maintain at the players that. Arsenal could, could yeah, bring off exactly. the bench compared to who Villa could bring off. Obviously, there there is the absentees, but there's understandably still a gap between who Villa have available to them and who Arsenal have available to them. And that's always going to be something that's tough for teams to overcome. And I guess the other interesting thing for Villa is last season, they were a bit of an unknown quantity and it felt like they got those, you know, wins against bigger teams because people didn't really know what to expect. People were surprised. But now they're going into a season where those bigger teams are not showing them like a different level of respect necessarily, but they're, they're a team that like other sides will be wary of, the who who will feel like they can hurt them and that can also sort of play against you. That's something else you've got to try and overcome. Yeah, let's talk about Manchester United's draw with Leicester though, because that was probably the biggest other sort of like drama of the weekend, if you like. Manchester United have in the background this huge second leg against PSG on the horizon. Mark Skinner made the brave choice of resting Jay-Z. He said that it was, you know, a, a deliberate thing to save her for Wednesday. He also made four changes to the team that played against PSG. And it's really interesting this season to see a coach who has been quite rigid in the past, um, quite stubborn and like to stick with a certain starting eleven, make quite a lot of changes in all the games his team's played this season, whether it's like WSL or Champions League. And I feel like that had a bit of an impact uh, in the first leg of the PSG game and it had a bit of an impact yesterday as well. I think Manchester United played really well at times. I think they were quite wasteful in front of goal. They had some really good opportunities. Mallard looks really good again. Miyazawa sort of playing in the, in the 10. Couldn't really quite get involved until the second half. But I'm just kind of worrying, Jesse, if... Mark Skinner is kind of getting in his own head a little bit and now he maybe feels like he's got depth and he's got a little bit more flexibility. Didn't start Ella Toon yesterday. He's maybe actually working a little bit too hard and overthinking it when it comes to like resting players, switching up, rotation. That was the energy I got from midweek and the energy I got from the Leicester game. Yeah, and I mean, to a certain extent, Sometimes I think that's just the pain squads have to go through at the start of the season. You know, I think that's partly why often we see Chelsea not look great at the start of the season because Hayes is someone who likes to mix things up, likes to get 
her squad in likes to give players the opportunity to get minutes early on in the season. And I think, you know, to create a cultural competition, you do have to do that to an extent. And and there are decisions like, you know, resting at Latoon, like I think it's pretty clear that she's sort of gone off the boil in, in recent months. And that's probably, you know, not unrelated to the large amount of football that she's played for, for club and country. So, for example, that, that kind of stuff I think does make sense. Leaving JC out the squad is just something I didn't understand at all. Because you can put her on the bench mm. and think, I'm really like, it's going to be the last option. Maybe to know. try and win the game when it's one all. <laughs> yeah, a bit like a bit like Beth Mead. Like I'm sure Idaval, in an ideal world, didn't think Mead was going to play minutes yesterday. But she was fit, she was available, so she was on the bench. And so he could turn to her. I just don't get, it just felt like, especially after her performance midweek, where she so clearly changed the game against Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, for me, it just felt like as soon as I saw like, oh, she's fine, she's just not in the squad, I was like, Leicester 100% getting something from this because it just felt like the the hubris of it all. I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was a really, really strange decision. Um, I think United can probably count themselves a little bit unlucky, but I don't know what on earth was going on with the marking for Leicester's goal. We're going to do a Jilly Flatty defending corner because it was a bad weekend for defending. But I also want to talk about some injury issues which are already creeping in a little bit early into this Manchester United team because Gabby George came off quite early in the first half yesterday. Doesn't look great. No update yet on that. Jade Riviera then came on. She's had her own injury issues. She comes off... Gemma Evans ends up finishing the game and that means United potentially go into the second leg away in Paris with Gemma Evans starting a third choice. It makes me quite nervous for that game. It makes me quite nervous for United season in general. I mean, it's very unlucky. We know Gabby George has had her injury issues. We know Jed Riviera's had her injury issues, but like, it's not looking good. Um, a player that, you know, got relegated with Reading coming in like no disrespect to Gemma Evans but like that's a, a someone you're bringing in for experience in WSL games and maybe cup games but not someone you're imagining is going to start in a Champions League match I think as well that clubs their budget and their recruitment is let's go out and go and get the best midfielders and forward lines yeah I, and I'm talking about I'm preaching from experience here yeah <laughs> We but don't get picked. <laughs> defenders just don't, we don't get, get paid picked. either. But I just feel like, I feel like Chelsea really is one of the clubs that go, we don't really care what the price is. Obviously, when you look at, they've got Buchanan sitting on the bench at the moment, who was playing all the time for Leon, spent big money on bringing her here and she can't get into the team at the moment. And it's like, don't underestimate what defenders do. And I say it about Arsenal in the sense of, they lost their two starting centre-backs from last year through injury and through, obviously, Raffaele going. They brought in Illistit, but you've lost both of them. For me, I, but I don't think Lotta will be more is good enough. If you want to go and win the Champions League, is what she isn't good enough, in my opinion. And you don't have the depth on the bench to then have that. So I said, I don't understand why, why teams do that, where Zinsberg is not good enough for me. I don't think... Uh, D'Angelo's good enough as well if you want to be this club that you say you want to be and you want to put all the money in and go and assign the Russo and the forward players you've got to match that defensively and I think sometimes teams underestimate having that depth and at times as a centre-back if you have got I used to I hated it at Chelsea when I was sitting on the bench and I couldn't get in the team but you, that's what you've got to understand now if you're a big team like Man United want to be a big team and they want to be in the top three, four and winning the league, whatever, you've got to have that depth, not just in your forward line, but you've got to have it in your defence as well. And fingers crossed for them, it's not a serious injury with Gabby George as well. But if it is Gemma Evans having to play against PSG, then... Come with the hour, come with the woman, my friend. It's friends. tough, but she's got, to, she's got to step up too. She's a Welsh international as well. Do you know what I mean? So she's got to step up, but it's not... You want to have that depth regardless whether it's a, defending, a defender or a forward. I hear what you're saying, Jilly. Defending is dead and I completely agree with you. Um, don't disrespect the art form of defending and no, nothing illustrates that more than some of the goals we saw conceded this weekend because it was a bad one for set pieces. Both the goals in this game came from set pieces. I think the goal that United conceded 
uh, to Leicester was abysmal defending. Um, Letizia does, a, you know, works a bit harder to get hers because she does kind of move away from her marker rather than being presented on a plate like Leicester's goal was. The goal that Arsenal conceded against Aston Villa was a whole kind of confusion in what the routine was. Uh, Bristol City conceded five headed goals against Manchester City. Some of them were pretty scrappy, but, you know, it wasn't a good day for them. Jilly, what is it about WSL defending and, to be honest, goalkeeping this season? But I feel like we're at, we're at a real low. Do you feel like it's got worse? Because I don't. I don't think we were at a very high point to start with. I think the baseline was quite low. But goalkeeping does feel like it's taken a bit of a step down this season already in like the first three rounds of games. And, you know, obviously my defending is dead PhD uh, thesis (laughs) started last season. So it's not like that's new. But in the first three games, I mean, I think defending is... um, you know, is, is quite poor everywhere I look, especially in the EFL. Less so in the Premier League. I think you still see really good defending the Premier League. But like in the championship, men's championship, I see some pretty poor defending. But I know some of it is coaches that are sort of stuck between zonal and man marking and that always becomes an issue for players when they're kind of like can't decide whether to stay or go. But yesterday it felt like we saw all of that chaos in so many of the goals that were conceded. Yeah, and I think, I mean, communication is huge for all of those goals that was conceded, looking at the Everton-Liverpool game, that goal that was conceded was Everton just had Meg Finnegan sitting at the back post having a cup of tea and biscuits. She was free as anything and able to put the ball in the back of the net. And yeah, it frustrates me because I see clubs bringing in attacking coaches and I'm like... Why do you not give the respect to defend? Do you know what I mean? Get me in. I'm free and I'm I'm available. I feel like the coaching needs to improve, like... Obviously, I would love to go down to a few clubs and like see what when they split into, you know, like forwards, defenders, midfielders, whatever they do, which is like often the case. I would love to know how much time and energy is going into that set piece development, because I remember QPR fans constantly um, like going on at Mark Warburton saying like, oh, are we spending any time defending set pieces because it got so bad under him? And he sort of came out and defended himself and said, yeah, obviously, like we do focus on it. Like I'm not an idiot. I'm a football coach. But it was really hard to see those improvements. Are people not paying enough attention to it? I think every club does set pieces. Obviously, the majority of the clubs that I was at, we used to do it match day minus one which you'd run through it, but you wouldn't really do it properly because you didn't want to get concussion or knock someone mm. out. Do you know? But would, would that be attacking and defending set Attacking pieces? and defending, right. you'd run through it. But I think a lot of them, you're looking at, say, the Arsenal goal, right? So when we watched it back, obviously Illustrate in that zone, she just times it completely wrong. And when you are that zone player, you are given the freedom to literally go wherever that ball is, you go and stick your head on it. Mm. She completely times it wrong. If she times that right... Pacheco shouldn't be getting that header anyway because she's literally, Illicit is unmarked, got free, free, able to roam around. But when you break it down, Russo is, so there's there's five Arsenal players against five Villa players, but Russo's one of those five. Russo thinks she's got the player on the edge, but Kim Little's got the player on the edge. Then when the ball comes in, Russo realises that that's actually not her player. She don't know whose player she's got, like who her player is. So she just double ups with Caitlin Ford and runs to the same player. So Bacheco's free. But I think a lot of it is like when I when I watched the goal, Steph Catley was so fixed on her player who was running around the back, wasn't even watching where the ball was. If she'd have looked at where the ball was, she'd have left their player and gone. She should it's have left their player. It's such a catch twenty-two. And gone to the ball because she's probably thinking, "I've got to keep an eye on my man. I'm tracking them." She's probably thinking, "Whatever you do, don't get lost with the ball, right?" So it's a bit yeah. you get stuck in no man's it's, land. It's a, a bit, bit of like that. I, I know in teams that I was in that if you mucked up, obviously you did your analysis the next day. If you mucked up at set pieces and it was your player that scored, you're getting added. And a lot of the time it'd be like, just make sure my player don't score. But it's about reading danger in the games. Mm. So if if I leave my player to go and deal with that ball and I deal with it. You've got to shout someone else cover. Yeah, and, some, yeah. You, you just got to be aware, but you just got to be brave. But like the, the Man United goal, Rach Williams comes steaming out to head the ball. I think gets in the way of Millie Turner, who can't then head it. And there's two players sitting back at, at the post three, like... <laughs> Oh, mate, it gets I feel me like so Rachel, annoyed. I felt like Rachel Williams was like in attack mode. She was like, yeah, go get to the ball. And then was like, oh no, we're defending Just this corner. Even, even that, what's weird is it, I'm like, why did no one turn around and be like, 
Oh, who's I, getting this player? Eileen Whelan's just like oh, chilling, chilling on the. <laughs> but even then, the three on the line. Eileen Williams has a shot. The three on the line, it literally, it goes in between all three. Mm. Like, and none of them are running out. No, the our defending's no. gone, mate. Our defending's gone. A wow. I tell you that now. Men. Also, yeah, ironically, Flatty consultancy. Genuinely, like the irony was that when QPR were conceding loads of set piece goals, Mark Warburton then came out and said that the players were being fined every single time they conceded a set piece goal. And we're like, fucking hell, that pot of money <laughs> must be huge. Did he ever get fined for the set piece no. goals? I mean, it's men's football. They've got go more in. money to throw away, haven't they? Whenever, I, whenever a player of mine scored, I wouldn't go in the next day. I said, sickness and diarrhea. <laughs> I'm not getting added in that meeting, mate. I'd rather be off. But when you run through it as well, by running through, does that mean just sitting and watching tape and, you know, studying the like little book? Or is that actually running through it on the training ground? Chelsea did it the best. Chelsea did it the best where we used to go into our, meet, our units, so defenders, midfielders. We'd go with Stuart, who's the goalie coach. It used to get heat at times because... Goalkeepers used to be in there. Goalkeepers see one thing, defender mm. sees another thing. But when you come out of there, you was all on the same page. And then it'd be at West Ham, for example, we'd watch the clips on the big screen. We'd sometimes go into it. We sometimes wouldn't. It's sort of that everyone makes mistakes, right? So you could watch a forwards clips back and they'll miss all the chances that they miss. But with defenders, we're a bit like, too protective in that sense of just own it. You know what I mean? Mm. It, it's when when we make a mistake, it's costly because it's a good chance there couldn't be a goal. But just the art of defending for me, like put your body in the line, go and press the ball. Everyone just seems to be sort of, I'm staying in my zone, I'm staying in my area. Do you know what I mean? If you go and put, same as, same as Kate McCabe's goal. If the, the Villa defender goes out and just tries their best just to get something but instead they stay in the box thinking she's going to cross it. And she, I mean, it's a great finish, but you just still got to do something to put that player off. To be fair, Russell had done 50 crosses by that point, so she probably thought she's going to cross yeah. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think if I was a coach, we would just be doing set pieces for hours because I just feel like it's so bad right now. A couple of questions, though, we had around that United game, and I think it feeds into the great performance that we saw from Neve Charles as well against West Ham, Jesse. Letitia, Neve Charles, neither of them really getting near that starting lineup for England. And we know Serena Wiegmann is fairly stubborn with that. But a couple of people have asked, what do you think it's going to take for my Letitia? And another person asked Neve Charles to get in that England starting lineup. Is it just injuries or what is it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, Neve Charles has been Chelsea's best player so far this season. Um, thought she was really good again against West Ham. Neve Charles is the one I. Well, kind of both of them I don't get. But the Maya Letizia one feels a little bit separate. And it's going to be interesting, I guess, with these um, United injuries, like whether she is, she's going to get more of an opportunity to play at right back. Vigman's always said she sees her as right back. I don't get that. I think she looked great at centre-back a lot of the time. But Billy Bright and Alex Greenwood and Jess Carter are all sort of in and around those centre-back positions. Leah Williamson's going to come back. I can see why Letizia is further down that list at left back that I don't understand because I don't know why we play Rachel Daly there. But I think all I will say for Letizia and Charles, and I think this is obviously something that can be hard to like find the balance of, is that I don't think either of them have ever shown their club form for England. And you can argue that's because they don't get many chances to, but ultimately... At some point, you have to take the chance and justify it. And, you know, for example, Charles did get minutes at the World Cup and I didn't think she looked amazing. It didn't feel like she was really sort of staking a claim to be able to start in that team. But I think if she carries on playing the way she is, then I think there will be a bigger decision to make. Um, the Letizia one, I do think, is a bit is a bit more complicated, but... Letizia especially has plenty of time on her side. We're not talking about like a 28-year-old in the like prime of their career who can't seem to get near the team. And we know Vigman is someone who likes her favourites and she carries on playing her favourites. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what her squad is looking like for these upcoming Nations League games. I want to throw some love before we finish our WSL section to Manchester City because they put five past Bristol City and we know it already looks like Bristol City are going to struggle this season. But I think Manchester City deserve a little love. I think they are feeling like 
one of my favourite teams at the moment. I think I had them to finish second at the start of the season. I think they're still looking pretty good for that. But I feel like they're going to come much closer to a title challenge this season. I think they're definitely going to finish probably with one domestic trophy. And I just think the depth is unbelievable. While Chelsea have got a few injuries that they're struggling with, Mia Fischel, Gura Wrighton were out on Saturday. Obviously, City kind of got lucky with the suspensions because they got to take those in the Conti Cup, which is, you know, a little bit lucky. But the depth is just ridiculous. I think every outfield player they've got has had minutes now this season. Bunny Shaw is back. It just looks like the versatility that they've got going forward and the addition of Jill Rod, which like Jill Rod became a bit of a gag in the summer for the price tag that City paid because, you know, she obviously sort of flirted with Barcelona and wanted that move. It didn't happen. And everyone saw the price tag and thought, oh, like, why is City paying that much? But I suppose City was sort of willing to pay any price for someone that, is going to get them goals from midfield when ever since sort of Stanway and Caroline Weir left, they've really missed that extra goal scorer. And yeah, just having that versatility now, I think just makes them even more of a dangerous prospect. I think that back line's looking a little bit more comfortable. The relationships are building, the fitness is there. And I'm just really loving their work. And I know, Jesse, there's a Bristol City tax and maybe a West Ham tax out of these three games. But have you been impressed with them? Because I have. Yeah, I have been impressed with them. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think Bristol City are going to (laughs) be everyone's sort of punch bag this season, aren't they? It certainly feels like that right now. Um, But yeah, I think what got a bit overlooked in sort of the Jill Rod thing too, and, you know, just bringing one player in, is that they were bringing Jess Park and Ruby Mace back from loans Mm. as well. and. Obviously, they're not like signings, but they're very talented young players, both of whom who have picked up minutes for City before and also then impressed on loan. And I think they were like sort of bolstering their squad in that way. And for example, I thought Mace was really impressive when she came on against Chelsea. So I do think they've got those players to contribute. And yeah, I think I think what will be interesting is, I think because City have the most settled squad, it doesn't feel surprising that they've started the season strongest. And I do think they've started the season strongest of all of the top four. But I think what will be interesting is as the season goes on and other teams maybe like they might lose some of that advantage that comes from having a very settled squad, having players who know each other. And what's going to be interesting is a bit like with Mark Skinner, we know Gareth Taylor liked to play in a certain way. He liked to use the same sort of front three. He liked to use the same sort of midfield. Can he offer those little bits of like variation that make a team less predictable so that you've got, you know, like what Chelsea and Arsenal have and I think what United are trying to have this season, that that idea that you don't know what the team sheet is until you get hold of it. We've seen little little bits of that. Some of it's been a bit enforced. Like I think, you know, getting to see Mary Fowler get a lot of minutes. But it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of how that progresses as the season goes on. Yeah, I think as soon as Bunny Shaw came back in, you saw them maybe revert to their more typical way of playing, which is like use the width to get crosses into her. She finishes them. The fact that they scored five headed goals yesterday, it kind of shows that. But I, yeah, I think it's like, when, he, when Gareth Taylor's forced to break away from that because of injuries, you see a new side to City, which we got to see in Mary Fowler. I think she's been brilliant so far this season. So it's like, still keep that creativity and that new dynamic. Laura Coombs was sort of struggling to get into the team now that and she was such an important player for them last season. So I do think it's that versatility is there, but it's like, how can we use that versatility to our advantage rather than just using it as like subs to change the game? It's like you say, making yourself unpredictable because that is what Chelsea do towards the end of the season when they find their rhythm and they have that depth. And even in that second half against West Ham when Aaron Cuthbert comes on and like just destroys the game, how do you keep people guessing? Yeah, and I I think, you know, a big thing as well for for Taylor that he was often quite reticent to just even make those changes in-game. And I think we've seen him, you know, as you say, like if everyone's got minutes so far, you're seeing him even in-game, making changes, giving players opportunities, making sure that competition is there. And I think all of that like goes a really long way, especially if you do, for example, pick up injuries that you've got players ready to go. But yeah, I think City have been really impressive so far and it'll be interesting to see how they do this season. And Bonnie Shaw, three goals in the space of a week, got one midweek as well of Conti Cup. She's just 
inevitable, you know? I'm loving the Jill Rod Bunny Shaw combo. I think that's kind of like what the WSL needs. <laughs> uh, Julie, Counterpress Complaints is a new segment that I brought in because I like to complain about things. And I've been for a long time very much fighting against foul throws. I think we see too much of it in football. I know people say, well, what difference does it make? How does it impact the game? But if there's going to be a rule, you might as well apply it. And the amount of foul throws I see across football, men's and women's, is deeply embarrassing. There's a left back for QPR called Kenneth Powell, who probably does about three a game that never get noticed or pulled up on. Lisa Evans had a couple against Chelsea. Yeah, but what, what one was pulled me. up? No, one, one, a Chelsea one was oh, pulled Chelsea up. Oh, Chelsea one was pulled up. That was and it. I was thinking, I've spent... 10 minutes watching Lisa Evans do absolutely rubbish ones right in front of me. <laughs> That's the thing. It's the consistency. Apply it. If you're going to apply the rule, apply it consistently or let's just have a game where no one needs to do a proper throw. It enrages me. I'm Jilly. working on my new chant, Lisa Evans, you're shit at throwing. <laughs> wow, savage. <laughs> for the away match. Uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on foul throws? Do you no, care? No, it does. And do you know what my, with foul throws, right? So, Svitkova who is obviously was it with West Ham with me and is was not Chelsea. Whenever she used to in a game, she used to play left wing back. Yeah. She, if she ever run to quickly take the throw in, everyone would scream at <gasps> her. No, no, no. What are you doing? And then she'd foul throwing, you'd go, What are you doing? Like we just literally <laughs> said, don't take the throw in. Because if you're looking at who is the worst throwing person, if they even what the person the worst person to do a throw in is Fitkova. <laughs> Maybe that's her mysterious injury. Yeah, she yeah. just she can't do throws. Yeah. Um, have you got any complaints that you want to bring to the table from the um, weekend? Well, I don't have any complaints really from the weekend. I was. I, I mean, we talked like about you. we talked about defending, so that was. I kind had of... no complaints with the referees this weekend. Actually, I thought I couldn't find her bloody name, but I thought the ref at um, Chelsea West Ham did a decentish job. I think there were a few where we disagreed about that yellow card, but I think she let the game flow very well, and obviously she didn't have that many huge decisions to make, apart from on the foul throws. If, yeah, yeah, true. But that one, I, I won't hold it to that higher standard because, like, that's just a weekly occurrence <laughs> in football. Uh, Jesse, have any complaints? My complaint was from the Chelsea West Ham game, and it's shit nicknames. Because I heard someone refer to Jess Carter as Carts. You can't make up things. I'm personally not having that. So stick with calling her Jess. Yeah. Just um, don't create, just try, stop trying to make new nicknames stop happen. Stop trying to make Carts happen. Stop trying, stop to, trying make to make Carts, carts happen. happen. It's not going to happen. You didn't have really have any nicknames, did you? Just Jill. Yeah, no, I didn't have, you can't really make a nickname out of Flurry, can yeah, you? Yeah, it's a bit hard. Yeah, no, I didn't have no nicknames. Bit of a mouthful. Uh, let's, Sometimes uh, you got to go the other way. Maybe people should call you Gillian. <laughs> Lengthen the name. Full name her. Don't make me take these headphones and walk out now. <laughs> Before we go, let's quickly get stuck into what happened on the final day of the NWSL regular season next. So yesterday it was decision day, which was what the NWSL called their final day of the regular season, which I think is the most exciting finale they've probably ever had to a final day where there were, I don't know, eight teams in with a shout of getting six playoff spots. So much went down. Um, it ended up being Washington Spirit who missed out on a playoff spot, who started the day in a playoff spot. But there were a few kind of amazing moments, including Sydney LaRue's bicycle kick from the Angel City game, which was obviously very impressive. And they beat Portland Thorns, Angel City, which was a massive result. Um, Portland Thorns ended up sticking around in the playoff spot, as did O.L. Reign, Gotham with Ali Krieger's last regular season game but obviously in the playoffs now so that continues and San Diego Wave finished top claiming the shield which has to be one of the worst trophies in professional women's football it's the kind of trophy that you would see at like a you know county championship Sunday league game I think it, it looks like a plate that your nan would put like biscuits on yes it's the kind of the kind of plate my Granny used to put grapes on and would be like, here's a fancy plate yeah. for grapes. It's not not nice. No, it's pathetic. <laughs> and I think the celebration was pathetic as well. I didn't yeah. see no, whoa, 
from Alex Morgan or that. No, bubbly. I didn't see none of that. It's because it was oh, so I small. I did see Alex Morgan drinking a Michelob Ultra beer. Yeah, off it's the always plate. beer. It's always beer in, in the US. They don't really do. They do beer like Bud or whatever. Well, just open the beer in and chuck it everywhere. There yeah. was no like party poppers. Well, I guess it's yeah. weird because it's like. You have won the league, but also exactly. that's not what they care about, is it? So It's, it's sort of meaningless because it's like, oh, we've got this trophy, but I haven't really won anything. I think they might as well. It's a bit like celebrating coming top of your group in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, or something. I wonder if they should just ditch it all together, and that would make more sense just to not have a trophy. But how fuming though that you literally finish top and then you've got to do playoffs. You've then got to do playoffs, yeah. and you could literally come last. It feels very Casey Stoney to win the league in terms of being like, no, I'm English and I care about winning the league. So. She's bought her own bubbly mate. To yeah. Throw yeah. Uh, I also enjoyed the fact Casey Stoney was telling fans to not tell her the scores in other games like but quite by the sounds of it like strictly was like do don't you dare tell me what the other scores are I don't want to know I don't want my players to know because we need to make sure that we win this game I quite enjoyed that I feel like yeah, but the, then she said they were just telling her anyway no so. but she apparently had to get quite like <laughs> angry with them like would you stop because you really pissed me off it also was fun sort of rivalry narrative that Angel City obviously wanted to win and needed to win because they could potentially fall out of the playoff spots. Mm. But by winning, they effectively handed San Diego Wave the title. Yes, very so, true. And um, they could play each other in the semifinals. So. And um, an amazing uh, job as well that Becky Tweed's done as the interim head coach at Angel City because when Freya Coombs got sacked, they were down bad and she's really turned around their fortunes and to get in the playoffs, having kind of at one point been a bit of a laughing stock, is extremely impressive. So I thought you were going to say an amazing job to Becky Taylor-Gill, who phoned me while I was on the night bus home last night to tell me the NWSL results. Oh, I said, can you tell me the NWSL results? I on the phone. Had they already f- uh, finished by that point? Or no, they were still going? No, they or... finished. Oh, that's early, earlier than I thought, which is why I didn't say up because I was expecting yeah, I to be like a 10. Oh, so it was a slightly not too bad because sometimes I'm like, I'm not staying up for this well what a show eh what a time a to be alive as always delightful thanks Julian <laughs> <laughs> see you uh, hopefully in my karaoke on Friday I'll be holding you I'll to be it there bringing in the 40 balloons <laughs> what would you sing Jelly oh come on I do like a bit of Whitney but I don't think I could ruin her songs like that um, that's brave that is brave I I'd like see to do a now. song that everyone could sing in though you know what I mean get the yeah. Mr. Brightside's always popular for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bit of um, Oasis is always, I think, goes down well. Yeah, Wonderwall. That'd be good. All right. Write Jill's name down as the first stop. I feel like those are quite safe ones. I think Oasis, they're quite easy to sing, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Start with Oasis, finish with Whitney. Someone's always (laughs) always got to go first, Jilly, so I'll hold you to it. Well, enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. Thanks. Um, See you on Thursday. I'll see you on Thursday. Bye. 